Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Oh yeah. my gosh, is, is she a baby? Oh. I think she's like seven weeks. I want to get a dog so bad, John, for the time being, has vetoed it. I'll, I'll work on him again later. This is Political Breakdown from KQED in San Francisco. I'm Scott Schaefer. Coming up, highlights from the week in politics, including a fresh poll showing the U.S. Senate race in California is still very much up for grabs and the very real possibility that the top two will include one Republican and one Democrat. Imagine that. And we're going to look ahead to next week as well when Republicans will brave the snow and cold in Iowa to caucus for their candidate and perhaps try to put a dent in Donald Trump's aura of invincibility. Joining me today, as they will most Fridays, with any with any luck at all, are KQED's politics correspondents Guy Marzarati and Marisa Lagos, my co-host on Political Breakdown. Hey, guys, happy Friday. Hey. Happy Friday. So, yeah, let's get into that poll, that Berkeley IGS poll. Uh, Top-line numbers, Adam Schiff is... In front, as he has been in a lot of polls, 21% of likely voters there. Uh, Katie Porter from Orange County, 17%, followed by Republican former baseball star uh, Steve Garvey with 13% and East Bay Congresswoman Barbara Lee at 9% and 21% still undecided. You have to say, Marisa, this is very much up for grabs. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's because as we've been talking about and the poll director, Mark DiCamillo, told me yesterday, people haven't really tuned in yet. You know, I mean, you even see this for as much as we spend time talking about the presidential race, you know, in some of the early voting states as well. And I do think that this next seven weeks or so is going to be key. People will start getting their ballots at the, you know, in February. And I think that's when we'll really see, um, you know, that sort of engagement. But yeah, to your point, I mean, Katie Porter really has stayed flat in this poll over time, whereas Schiff kind of dipped in the fall and then came back up. Um, Steve Garvey's the real news here, I would say. He almost doubled his support, according to this poll, between August and now. And that's with really no campaigning. <laughs> really no campaigning at all. And yeah. I guess that's just people getting the idea that, hey, there's a Republican, perhaps a viable Republican in the race. Right, Guy? Yeah. I mean, I think, look, he's really testing the limits of launching a campaign and then basically going on the back of the milk carton for three <laughs> months. Um, but I think the fact that, yeah, there are a few you know, big name Republicans in this race. It's really him and Eric Early, who's been on the ballot before. But Garvey is going to have the advantage of, of name identification among Republicans. And that might be enough in a race like this where it's, you know, you have a competitive field and it might not take much more than kind of the low 20s uh, to get into the top two primary. Can I notice something really funny I just noticed right now looking at this poll is the designations that they've each chosen. So both Adam Schiff (laughs) and Katie Porter have some, you know, U.S. United States representative, Steve Garvey, professional baseball representative. I'm surprised that that raises a lot of questions (laughs) since he hasn't played in a couple of decades. Barbara Lee, congresswoman slash mother. 
Yeah. Actually, some the, the mother designation was actually uh, has been debated over the years. I think th- it goes back to a race that, if I'm not mistaken, Zoe Lofgren ran in the early '90s, where she used the designation mother, and it was actually challenged through you know California election law. Um, and now you see it. You I mean, know, it's accurate. Parent, she yeah. is a mother. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't say she's necessarily you know nailed down the mom vote, but <laughs> you know she's out there as a mom. That's good. Um, in terms of growth potential, because there's a lot of votes out there to to still get all those undecided voters, like a, almost a third of Asian American voters undecided, many many Latino voters. So is this? Do you think I is this like? Uh, does somebody have a better chance, a leg up on winning those votes over given sort of the issue? Uh, environment we're in right now? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, percentage wise, there are a great deal of Republicans uh, undecided in this poll. I think that perhaps bodes well for Garvey. But on the issue environment piece, this poll also asks about uh, respondents, um, you know, preferences and views on Israel's war in Gaza against Hamas and the U.S. role in that. And I think that's an area when you see how respondents who support Barbara Lee and those who support Katie Porter, you really realize through this poll, they're fighting for the same voters mm-hmm. in this primary. And they both have, a, you know, challenges and opportunities for, th- for that. For Lee, look, she's been the most outspoken uh, supporter of a ceasefire in Gaza. She's been the strongest ceasefire vo- uh, voice in this race. But can she compete on the airwaves as we really start to get into the time where you're, where you're seeing candidates launch statewide ads? On the flip side, Porter, she's going to be on TV. If, if you're watching Morning Dooms or a Real Housewives reunion this week, you're going to see Katie Porter ads. On the flip side, though, that ad that she's launched, it's really an introduction of who she is as a candidate, what she's done in D.C., which has largely been around fighting corruption, you know, cleaning up Washington. Is that the issue? Is that the message that voters really want to hear? The challenge for Porter is going to be fitting her message to the moment. Well, and of course, Trump uh, is in the news with all these uh, uh, lawsuits and trials, and that's got to benefit, you would think, Adam Schiff. Uh, that is best what, you know, what he's known for. Certainly, it's his brand. Right. And I do think that this is where, like, the difference between a March election and a November election could really matter in terms of, you know, back to the Hamas issue. We saw in the second poll that IGS put out, you know, in general, Republicans are very much behind Israel, sort of a monolithic stance. Democrats are all over the map. If you're younger, if you're more progressive, um, if you're uh, black or AAPI, you are much more likely to either say you sympathize with both sides or more with Palestinians and to have very strong feelings about the need for Israel to back off of this offensive. And so I think that for Schiff, who's been a very staunch supporter of Israel, if this conflict is dragging into the fall and he makes it to the top two, it could become a big issue. Otherwise, what we saw from that poll is that this could be a problem for Biden. And young voters, I think it's interesting in the Senate poll, are the most undecided group. And that is, to your point, really an opening for either Lee or Porter. Well, when you look at the numbers among 18 to 29-year-old voters, who do you sympathize with more? 44% say Palestinians, just Mm -hmm. 14% say Israel. That's a big number. Right. And then here's the other challenge for those two progressives. Which voters do you think are most likely to stay home from the polls over their dissatisfaction with the U.S.'s role in this conflict? It's going to be those younger, more progressive voters. That's another challenge uh, for Porter and Lee going forward. And to your point, Scott, we also saw Adam Schiff launch a statewide ad uh, this week. And front and center, I think the first person to appear in that ad that wasn't Schiff or an actor was Trump. And I think as long as Donald Trump is, you know, in the news winning Republican primaries, that's going to bode well for Adam Schiff, who at this point has really sealed off a lane for himself 
in this primary. As the candidate, you know, if you support, you know, what Joe Biden's uh, been doing as in regards to Israel, if you've, you know, were a supporter of Dianne Feinstein, if you're more of a moderate Democrat in the state, Adam Schiff kind of has that lane to himself at this point. Yeah, real quick, uh, Joe Garofoli, our friend from the Chronicle, broke a story today that uh, Rigel Robinson, a Korean American, very young member of the Berkeley City Council, he was elected at age 22. He's 27 now, running for mayor. He's dropping out. He just, uh, Marisa, you've done some reporting on this whole issue of toxicity in politics. And he, uh, you know, was a very pro-housing voice, voice for students, young people. He's, yeah. He's, can't yeah. stand it anymore. Yeah. And I just filed a story today about Eric Swalwell, a congressman from the East Bay, who uh, we saw a man arrested in Florida for making threats against his life and his children's lives. Also reports that Trump ally Roger Stone threatened to have him assassinated back in 2020. This is something that is affecting public uh, you know, servants, whether they're elected or not, from the top down to the bottom. We've seen this with election officials. And I do think that it's really this moment where it, it doesn't even matter like how, you know, progressive or, or, you know, you are on the spectrum. It's just this culture of violence and violent rhetoric that, you know, you have to say has really been sort of... Um, you have to say also all roads lead to Trump on this. That's I'm what I was going to say. Just, like he, he doesn't back off of this and it's really becoming a problem. All right. Coming up next, the Iowa caucuses are happening Monday, possibly in a snowstorm. We'll discuss the stakes coming up. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. Scott Schaefer here with KQD's Marisa Lagos and Guy Marzarati. We're looking back at the week's top political stories and thinking ahead to next week when the first actual votes will be cast in the 2024 presidential election in the Iowa caucuses. But, you know, before the break, we don't want to give this short shrift. We were talking about uh, the young city councilman and mayoral candidate in Berkeley who dropped out and Eric Swalwell, uh, who dropped out because of the toxicity in politics. Um, And, you know, Everyone says, oh, there's no place for violence. There's no place for threats. Not everyone. <laughs> well, except for the people saying it. And and perhaps, you know, Donald Trump, you know, needs to, <laughs> you would think, he, he might, might be able to stem some of this because a lot of it does, I think, yeah. emanate from his kind of politics. No, and if, you, and if you talk to experts who study extremism and these sort of violent threats and rhetoric, they say that that's absolutely true, that we really need to see 
members of both parties standing up in lockstep and and denouncing this. And and we haven't seen that. I mean, I know that briefly this week at the Fox News town hall, Trump sort of grudgingly said, yeah, we shouldn't have violence. But I think what people are hearing are more what he says on Truth Social when he laughs about Paul Pelosi's attack uh, in speeches. I was there for one of those. I gasped when it happened because it was so shocking to me, you know, that that somebody in his position would be sort of like celebrating this. Um, But I really do think what we've seen is that this creates this opportunity for these like lone wolves. Think about the Paul Pelosi attacker. It doesn't have to be an actual sort of, you know, big conspiracy threat among multiple people. Um, You have people that just decide that this is where it's going to go. And to your point, it's trickled down into local politics in a way that is really scary. Well, and it's shocking, I think, you know, you mentioned the comments about Paul Pelosi. It's shocking to me that both audiences lap it up and laugh when he does it. Uh, And even like mainstream Republicans, you know, they don't really they don't really condemn it. And it just, you know, that is essentially giving it a thumbs up or a tacit uh, approval, which is really unacceptable. Guy, I want to shift down to your part of uh, the Bay Area down in San Jose, Silicon Valley, Palo Alto, that region. Anna Eshoo, the longtime congresswoman, is uh, retiring along with, uh, uh, you know, others. We've seen a lot of retirements here in -hmm. in the Bay Area uh, and, you know, nationwide. And there were some endorsements. Uh, in in the past week in that race. Uh, Sort of set that up for us. You know, who are the top candidates and, um, you know, where do they stand right now? Yeah. So, you know, some big endorsements coming down. This is a huge field. 11 candidates uh, running in this race to succeed Anna Eshoo. We've seen endorsements come from, you know, all over the country, national leaders. We saw Cory Booker, senator from New Jersey, weigh in early support. Uh, Palo Alto Councilwoman Julie Lithcott-Hames. But then just this week, Anna Eshoo um, supporting a successor in in this race, Joe Samidian, longtime county supervisor, state legislator. We also saw LaFonza Butler, California senator, support Evan Lowe. Um, which, you know, in its own right, getting an endorsement from a senator is a big deal. But I also took that as kind of like, where is organized labor leaning in this race, given Butler's long ties uh, to SEU? So I think Evan Lowe, a state assembly member in this area, getting that endorsement is big for him. And then there's Sam Licardo, uh, former mayor of San Jose. I strongly suspect you're going to see the current mayor of the city, Matt Mahan, uh, endorse Licardo in this race. They've been longtime allies. And San Jose residents make up about a third of voters in this race. Um, So I think that could potentially have an impact. It's those signals that voters are looking for when you're having to scroll down and go through 11 candidates in a field like this. Having those endorsements, those, you know, signals from other elected officials you might recognize does make a big deal in this truncated election timeline. And and we know this is a solid uh, Democratic seat. But is there a credible Republican in that race with all these Democrats dividing up the vote? You know, there are fewer Republicans. I not anyone that's gonna, um, you know, stand out as far as having a built-in base of support. And I think even in a race like this, you would really need there to be one Republican for it to break down and, and have a Democrat versus Republican top two. My expectation uh, in this election is that because there are a couple Republicans in the race, that you will see two Democrats make it to November. How much do you think it matters, Marisa, in this moment that we're in to have an endorsement from somebody like Anna Eshoo in that race? I mean, Sam Licardo's, they all are very well known in, you know, certainly Licardo is as former mayor of San Jose. Like, you know, what cues do voters look for? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think it's a cue, right? You're going to look, if you're, you know, a very sort of engaged person on climate issues, you're probably going to look at what environmental groups do. If you were a really big fan of someone like Eshu, you might take that. I don't think it's the only consideration, but to Guy's point, when you have, you know, what's going to be a very long ballot with a lot of people on it, 
um, for a lot of different races. I think it's a way for voters to kind of like it's a cheat sheet in a way, right? To get a sense of like, what could this person's values be if I don't know the answer to every, on every issue, you know, policy position that they have. Are they allied with somebody that I have historically voted for in the past? Are they someone that we, you know, can 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 look at and and sort of jive with? So I think that, um, yeah, yeah, I'm always curious about endorsements, like and how much they actually matter. I would love to see some data points. I mean, I I do think in this race, as in many others that we're watching on the ballot, the signal to progressive voters around. Uh, Israel's war in Gaza could potentially be something that distinguishes candidates. There's one candidate here, uh, Ahmed Mustafa, who was the first to come out and just say, I'm in full support of a ceasefire. You wonder if just those kind of, uh, you know, issues breaking through to progressives, again, in a race where you're not going to need a huge percentage of the vote to crack into the top two, how big of a role that still plays in March. All right, let's look ahead to Monday. It is the (laughs) Iowa caucuses. You know, there's an old saying that polls don't vote, people do. But boy, a lot of people have sure dropped out before anybody's cast a ballot. So we got Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley kind of vying for second, most likely, and then, you know, Trump, who's sailing along with a huge lead. What do you think, Marisa? Any, how's the snow going to affect Well, that's things? what I was going to say. I feel like that's the big news right now, is the weather in Iowa, and can, and I mean... Can people like physically get to caucus locations and do they want to when it is like supposed to be like negative 15 degrees in some of these places? I mean, I think we all look from a state of 40 million people where there's no such thing as retail politics and we all, you know, vote in our homes with our absentee ballots a little askance at Iowa anyway that like people give up these Monday nights and and do this thing. But um, I think, you know, look, because we all got a lot going on Monday night. Yeah, (laughs) Trump. (laughs) Uh, seated Iowa in the past. And his campaign has not made that mistake this time. And I do think what you're hearing from the ground there is that his voters are most motivated. So it may be a little bit of a different outcome because of the weather, quite frankly. But I think, I mean, my prediction, if we're going to make one, is that he runs away with it. I mean, it just feels like, you know, I think Haley is going to try to make her stand in obviously New Hampshire and South Carolina. And that's where we'll really see whether there's any give here for his seemingly inevitable, you know. Well, and to your point, you know, there is no Democratic caucus. Uh, You may recall four years ago, it was really screwed up. Pete Buttigieg won, although it wasn't really announced until five days later, giving him really no boost as he went into New Hampshire. And I think there is, you know, this whole thing about, you know, who's going to give up their Monday night. I mean, it is not really the most democratic, with a small d, kind of process, is it, Guy? Because you've got not everyone can get to a caucus, uh, and there is no opportunity to vote ahead of time. You've got to be there in the room. I mean, it's uh, kind of kind of a so, crazy. Pro- it's just, uh, I would yeah, say, an unfair process to well, all you the candidates. Co- you combine that with the, with just the lack of diversity of Iowa's population compounded by the issues running the administrative issues of running the caucuses there on the Democratic side. The last two times, really. And I think there is your recipe for why the Democratic Party has moved away from Iowa uh, almost entirely. That party has just uh, continued to struggle as Democrats have now shifted their primary slate towards South Carolina and Nevada, places where they feel like more reflects uh, the Democratic electorate. All right. Last thoughts on anything? I guess we're going to find out. Maybe we'll find out Monday night uh, who won the thing, although it does uh, if it's really close, which I guess the only thing that's I mean, that probably going to be shocking. close would be the second place. Yeah, that would be shocking. I mean, I think honestly what people are looking for now is, is this going to be the largest margin of victory we've ever seen in an Iowa caucus? Yeah. And does Ron DeSantis survive? 
Iowa. That'll be the next, uh, with Christie dropping out this week also. Right. I mean, he really, really bet on Iowa hard. He went to every county. They have like more counties in Iowa than we do in California, which is wild. They Shook hands with every cow and voter. <laughs> but yeah. Um, Pulled every udder. I think, okay. yeah. I think I'm that's such what's a city slicker. I if, apologize. Man. <laughs> if he can't pull out second place, I, I, I would be... I guess surprised if he stays in this race much longer. Yeah. All right. That will do it. Guy Marzarati, Marisa Lagos, KQED Politics team. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Happy weekend. You too. Happy weekend. That is a wrap for Friday, January 12th. Political Breakdown is a production of KQED. Our engineer is Jim Bennett. Our producer is Izzy Bloom. Our team includes Marisa Lagos, Guy Marzarati, Molly Solomon, Otis R. Taylor Jr., and Ethan Tovin Lindsay. Political Breakdown is taking Monday off. In observance of Martin Luther King Jr. Day, we'll be back on Tuesday with lots more to talk about, no doubt, including perhaps those results from the Iowa caucuses. I'm Scott Schaefer. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.